of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.
Good morning, and welcome to all of you who are joining us. We're so glad that you're here. My name is Meg McGuire, and I am the ministerial intern here at UUSF. If this is your first time joining us, and a special welcome to you, I invite you to download the order of service, which you can find on our website or in the description of this video, so that you can follow along through the service. We're especially glad that all of you are here this morning as we mark two very special thresholds in this community. After worship today, we will gather as a congregation convened with the enthusiastic recommendation of our search committee for the membership to vote to call Reverend Vanessa Rush Southern as our settled senior minister. This week is also the 250th anniversary of universalism in the United States. Thus, our offering this morning will go to support Murray Grove, a Unitarian Universalist camp and conference center located adjacent to the historic Potter Chapel and site of John Murray's historic 1770 sermon. The center's mission is to support community and the ongoing exploration of the universalist tradition. I want to take a moment to recognize everyone who has been essential to making today's service possible. To Don Wiepert, our worship associate this morning, Jonathan Silk, our AV and sound expert, Eric Shackelford and Shuli Ong on our cameras, Joe Chapeau, who is monitoring our chat and social media, Thomas Brown, our sexton this morning, Reiko Odelaine, our organist, and Mark Sumner, our music director, Mihua Steger, our pianist, our soloists, Michelle Kennedy, Brielle Marina Nielsen, Ben Rudiak Gold, and Asher Davis. To Amy Kelly, our resident sixth generation universalist for the beautiful flowers this morning. And, of course, to Reverend Vanessa Rush Southern, our senior minister, who will be leading us in worship. You'll notice that a few things will be different in our worship service this morning as we navigate the changing health orders in San Francisco. So we'll be wearing masks during the duration of the service, and those of us here in the sanctuary will not sing. So we'll be leaning extra hard on those of you at home to really bring our hymns to life. So as we begin worship this morning, we light our blue candle as we have every Sunday for the last six months in honor of all of you. We light this candle until we may be gathered together again. (laughs) These are the things we'll be learning. Now please join me in our opening hymn, Immortal Love. You'll find the words printed in your order of service on page six. Welcome to worship.
our unison chalice lighting. We light, we light this, chalice this chalice for the light, light, of, light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light, we light the symbol of our faith, faith as, as we, we gather, gather together. And now our song leaders outside will lead us in our meditation on breathing. So if you haven't sung it through before, just listen. The words are simple. And then get lost in it for a short while. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I'll breathe out love. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I'll breathe out love. When I breathe in, I first time watching, thank you for joining us. You can follow along in the order of service, which is available in the description of this video, and it's emailed to those who receive the newsletter, so another incentive to sign up using the link that's in the chat so that you can get the sign up for the newsletter weekly and monthly. You'll notice, too, in the order of service, a whole bunch of events that are linked to that you can come and get involved in, including our normally our Zoom coffee hour, which this week will give way to the congregational meeting that Meg talked about. If you're a member, please come. You have to register to join in on the call <clears throat> to facilitate it. It's via Zoom, but there's a call-in number two if you choose that option. 
So exercise your democratic right, not available in all <clears throat> denominations in our world, but part of our rich history. And I would say vote what you think is best for this congregation, though I know I have a stake in the vote. But really, that's what we all want, is that the ministry of this community be as rich and strong as possible. And it will have been a pleasure to have served this community no matter what. There are a number of things that I just don't want you to miss, but we don't need to go over them if you can access the order of service. There are opportunities to learn more about a progressive understanding of the Bible, opportunity to dive into your own writing practice, meditation, look at the spirituality of aging, the issue of the separation of church and state and the upcoming election, ways to both get informed and get involved, and a chance to revel in art and also get food to those who need it. All this and more. Feel free to jump in wherever your heart and spirit feel drawn. I did want to thank everyone for the incredible generosity. We've been asking almost every week for a special offering. This week, of course, as you heard, no exception. Last week, the special offering generated over $700 for DRUM, a people of color collective in our movement that supports the lives and ministries of our members and friends in this Unitarian Universalist tradition who are part of the global majority. We're grateful for all their work and happy that we can show our support because of your generosity last week. So thank you. That is all I wanted to draw your attention to. And having skipped blithely around the order of service, I would invite you now to join me in saying our written covenant, the promises that we make to each other as part of this community. And then you at home can sing our gorgeous doxology. Let's say our covenant together. Love is the spirit of this church and service is its prayer. This is our great covenant. To dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in freedom and to help one another. Recognizing there is human suffering all over this world, 
in the course of natural and human catastrophes. We ring our gong today in honor of three such places of suffering and struggle. We ring our gong first, as we have since July of 2019, in honor of each of the seven children who lost their lives in federal custody in our detention camps. And we let it, we let it ringing symbolically stand also for those adults who have lost their lives in these camps. Those who remain in such camps, many separated for their families, and now many infected by COVID-19 or great risk of infection. We ring our gong additionally once for the losses this week to COVID-19. This week, the global losses to the virus exceeded 1 million. And our president and first lady, along with others on Capitol Hill, were infected. We hold in our hearts all of the losses of life, many preventable, all people who loved, were loved, and left, and left holes in their families, neighborhoods, and in the world that no one but they could fill. We send our prayers also to all who continue to risk their lives to provide essential service, those who have lost their jobs, those whose lives are especially vulnerable to the disease and to all whose isolation and struggle through grief and loneliness is harder the longer the pandemic continues. We pray for a full recovery for all those who are sick with the virus. And we pray that those who have the power to influence our global response do all they can, guided by wisdom, courage, and compassion. May we keep those we have named and their loved ones in our thoughts and prayers, and may we ease the tide of human suffering this coming week, howsoever we can. And now I invite us into a time of spoken and silent meditation.
God, that ancient metaphor for that which is so beyond naming. God, who perhaps is that feeling that we have in old buildings, the ones that are loved by their people, those filled with an ancient and ongoing river of human life. God who moves, it seems, in places like this, where the spirit is all about building up the world and weathering hardship, sharing one another's joy, seeking understanding, and shaping the next generation or being changed by it. God, who is perhaps the spirit that collects in such places little residues of each life and each redemptive act, the dust left behind when a worthy question and the struggle to respond has passed. The vapor of tears shed in honest joy or lamentation. God, if we can take the liberty to name you this way, spirit of this place and its people, peace of that same spirit in all places in which such a life like this resides and persists. Thank you for what we inherit. Today, just to give thanks for it. Thanks for everyone who knew this place and knows it now. Every moment in it, we lay our hands on the gossamer threads of that transcendent call to deeper places, to service, to this life replete with its requirements, and the shimmering promise of gorgeous legacy. For the love we have known and will know here, for the struggle we have endured, are enduring, and will endure together here, for the beauty that radiates and the hard truths we seek forever to name together for that life that we bless at its beginning and we hold through its fruitful, turbulent middle years and release back to the place from whence it came at the end. We give thanks.
and for the echo, the whisper that remains. In that ineffable spirit that maybe others will feel too when they come to places like this, come looking for some handful of what we might call God. Bless this place and the community of people past, present, and future who make it blessed. Amen.
this week is a special week in the history of the Universalist half of our Unitarian Universalist heritage. The reason why is best revealed in the historic <coughs> and perhaps mythologized story of Thomas Potter, John Murray, and the Fickle Winds, a story based loosely on a version told on the Murray Grove website. In the mid-1700s, the land that is now Murray Grove in Good Luck, New Jersey, was being farmed by Thomas Potter. Potter, a successful and deeply religious man, probably a Quaker Baptist, had caught wind of this new radical theological current. Well, actually, it was a very, very old one, but its newest iteration had caught him. It was called Universalism. It was this idea that all human beings would ultimately attain salvation, be welcomed back into the embrace of love when this worldly life ends. Then, then it was in stark contrast to the prevailing Calvinism with its idea of predestination and humankind's powerless to, powerlessness to change their ultimate fate or know it even for sure until death. A theology of radical powerlessness and seeming divine caprice. Potter began to seek out those with similar views, including visiting ministers. I think we have some motorcycles going by. Woohoo, San Francisco. <clears throat> A lot of motorcycles. Potter began to seek out those with similar views, including visiting ministers, inviting them to his home to discuss current issues. But by about 1760, Thomas's wife, Mary, having grown tired of hosting such discussions in her house, encouraged Potter to build a meeting house to, to host them. He did so, hoping too that someday this chapel would house a preacher of the Universalist Gospel. For 10 years, though, no one could be found. Neighbors started to express their skepticism, and Potter Chapel stood empty. At the same time, in England and Ireland, a young man with an intense interest in religion and a natural talent for public speaking was reaching <laughs> was reaching was reaching a life crisis. First, having converted from conventional Anglicism to Methodism, John Murray had once been convinced by Universalist doctrine he read and heard of in London. 
Losing his position in the Methodist Church as a result, Murray soon thereafter lost both his infant son and his beloved wife to illness, was thrown into debtor's prison and lost face. Downcast, maybe broken, he decided to make a new life for himself in America and to leave religion behind. Murray booked passage on the brig hand in hand, bound for New York. Diverted first to Philadelphia, they were on their way back up the New Jersey coast when they swept over a sandbar in a fog into Barnegat Bay. Seeking to unstick the boat, the captain offloaded some cargo onto a smaller local vessel, which he asked Murray to oversee. The brig, now lighter and the wind having shifted, was able to return to the open ocean, but the wind changed again and the smaller vessel, the boat with Murray and some sailors and cargo, it was unable to follow. So Murray, Murray headed to shore in search of provisions and he was directed to Thomas Potter's home. Thomas Potter, having seen the vessel stranded, met with the visitors. When Potter learned of Murray's background, he was understandably convinced that this was the preacher of universalism for whom he had been waiting, sent to him by providence. Murray wasn't sure he agreed. John Murray refused to preach, saying that he wanted nothing more to do with religion. Besides, he had to leave as soon as the wind allowed his boat out of the bay. Potter famously responded, the wind will never change, sir, until you have delivered to us in this meeting house a message from God. Eventually, they struck a deal. If the boat still stuck in the bay the following Sunday, Murray would preach in Potter's meeting house. If it were freed before then, he would depart with it. On Sunday, Murray did in fact preach a sermon on universalism to Potter and his family and neighbors. It was September 30th, 1770. As soon as he was finished, as the story has it, a, a sailor ran up to inform him that the wind had churned and the ship was free. Murray would depart, but soon return to good luck and his friend Potter. Freshly inspired, he stayed in this area for several years, traveling around to nearby towns and villages, preaching universalism to enthusiastic listeners. He eventually left again, making his way to New England, earning even greater popularity and found a permanent home in Gloucester, creating and ministering to the Universalist Church there the first in this country, and later in Boston. He was instrumental in the organization of universalism as a denomination in 1793. At Potter's death, the meeting house was left to Murray, but Murray was unable to claim it before his own death in 1815. It passed to the hands of a local Methodist congregation. The original building at some point was taken down and a new chapel was built on the site in 1841. 
The Murray Grove Conference and Retreat Center stands on the property just adjacent to the original site and the new chapel. And the miracle story of universalism in America, which this week celebrated its 250th anniversary, continues to be told in moments such as this one. Here ends the story, our offering to support the works and ministries of Murray Grove will be both given and gratefully received. Please mark your online giving as a special offering to make it easier for us to know where to assign it. Thank you. second reading this morning is entitled simply love and comes from a project called Enfleshed that seeks to provide individuals and communities with spiritual and theological resources for liturgy, prayer, and contemplation. Love cannot be bought or sold. It does not make a profit. Love does not hide from truth. 
Love dives deep. Love takes on flesh. Love is queer. Love is platonic. Love is erotic. Love is asexual. Love confronts evil. Love delights in pleasure. Love touches and weeps and flirts and feeds and creates. Love is risky. Love challenges systemic evil in all its forms. Love is simple, but not easy. Love is collective. Love rises up. Love apologizes. Love believes. Love corrects. Love holds accountable. Love pays reparations. Love heals. Love tells its story. Love embraces everyone, every creature, every creation. It knows us intimately. It holds us collectively. Love transcends every boundary that seeks to confine it. It will not tolerate violence in its name. It does no harm. It only sets free. Oh, oh, oh. 
I could preach without a mask, but this is not a week for leaders to give themselves exceptions. And I'm aware <clears throat> of the little blessings of this time. I mean, if Miwa's fingers still work to play the, <laughs> the piano, we get this beautiful breeze and I wonder if it'll show up in the sound, but the birds were singing with the singers during that piece. I don't know if we inspired them or they just joined in for fun. I read a book on dreams last week. It was written by one of my husband's late uncles, a man who studied dreams and dream work in the 1970s and then used to lead all kinds of workshops for all kinds of groups from corporate executives to nuns. I read it and for the first few days afterwards, I kept trying to remember to do what he said the readers should do, which of course is to write down your dreams, every detail you can remember the moment you wake up. We've all been having lots of vivid dreams in this COVID pandemic time. There have even been articles written about it and speculation about how and why. After a couple days of waiting, even just a couple minutes after I woke up, before I sat down to try and record my dreams, at which point I had completely forgotten them, I did finally one morning, barely able to walk straight, just having woken up and turned off my alarm, I went to my desk and I wrote down whatever I could remember. And what I could remember was disturbing and strangely apropos. I'll spare you all the details, but the salient ones are these. That in the dream, I was headed towards some big event. I was doing that along with this enormous caravan of people. Something important was about to happen and I, I knew I had a role it wasn't a central role, I knew, but it was one I assumed I would find out when I arrived at the place where all of this would happen. The caravan arrived, but as it did so along one side of the road, lined up, afraid, were people, men, women, children, a row of solid people, standing like a warning with their wrists tied together and their ankles. And around me too, there were flatbed trucks, two of them that I saw also filled with people tied up and stacked like wood. 
And in the dream, I knew this, that there was this dictator that we all lived under who was going to do something that night to make a point, but what we didn't know. As we arrived and unpacked, I went looking for a few things, a hairbrush, a change of clothes to disguise the wear of the road and to prepare for this event. And in the back room, while I was rummaging through my suitcase and trying to find my things, a man came up to me, a man I, I knew, and he handed me a box, an ordinary cardboard box, a little worse for wear, its top flopping open to reveal that it was filled with old books and pamphlets. Looking at the titles and without any words exchanged between us, I knew the way you know in dreams things, that what he'd handed me was actually this box of seditious writings from a previous insurrection and that they were mine to protect and to use and that if I were caught with them, I would be in danger. Shortly thereafter, I awoke. To wake from that dream was a relief, of course, but not entirely. It doesn't take a PhD in dream work to figure out what that dream was touching on and what I was worried about and wondering about that it brought to the surface, right? The man who is increasingly usurping power and waking up our dictator worries, he got sick this week. We pray for his recovery because we wish no one evil, even those who have done great harm, because it would be bad for our souls to do so. But that that he has been dancing actively with thoughts and plans that seem to be about our further destruction, that, that has felt evident in the air, to me at least. Ready to call out the proud boys and blow harder at least into the embers of racial tension and hatred sown over 500, 400 years that we are seeking to repair some of us that he's planning to upend, however he might structure the procedures, the trust in our election, the counting of mail-in ballots, maybe even hoping to toss those decisions to local election boards, to places in swing states filled with Republicans. All of this was starting to look like and feel like far too likely a possibility. All of it all of it, undermining a system of government that is more than his little drama and a nation that is not his narcissistic toy. In the dream, of course, I am somehow headed to be part of how all this will play out, and you are too, of course. Unclear about my role and what it will be. And that too is how it's felt lately. But in the dream, there is this one last part, right? There is this box that I'm handed in the green room while looking for lipstick 
as I prepare to walk on stage, a box of old books and pamphlets. Handed the evidence and inspiration and records of a tradition of challenge and courage that has been called upon in moments just like the one I find myself in. So the fact that this week, on September 30th, was the 250th anniversary of that miracle story that we told this morning, the one of at least one historic universalist arriving in these United States, well, that feels momentous to me. The faith tradition of that broken-hearted John Murray, reluctant, but reclaiming his, his right and call to preach on that fateful day, it feels important. He'd go on to found the first Universalist church in America. He'd be central in founding the denomination. And the Universalist tradition would catch like a virus on these shores. By the 1830s, it would be the ninth largest denomination in America. Universalists would found universities like Tufts and Caltech and St. Lawrence, the private school, ironically, where my own husband went for high school. They would do all this, though actually the Universalists boasted far less of their own academic prowess than their future spouses, the Unitarians. They were just powerful, devoted institutionalists and strategic. The first congregation that I served as an ordained minister was the Universalist National Memorial Church in Washington, D.C. It was built as the cathedral to universalism in America, just maybe a mile down 16th Street from the White House. By the time I was serving there, the idea that Whatever God inhabited the universe, if that's a useful metaphor or reality for you, that whatever God inhabited the universe had neither constructed nor permitted it to be a world in which souls would be punished, tortured, or left alienated for any period of time in something called a hell. Well, that idea had gone almost entirely out of favor. I mean, there were still and are a few fire and brimstone Christians in the world for sure, but universalism's main heresy became mainstream Protestant theology, and its success in promulgating the idea was also something that I think left it floundering a bit in the world for a while. I mean, what do you do when the whole world agrees with you? Except, except that there was this underlying part to universalism that was about why, why there was no hell, about this belief, this foundational one against which all other beliefs would be tested and on which everything else would be built and rest. And that was that there was, there is this force that animates the world, this force of pure, 
and unbounded love. And that our job as human beings in this life was to stay connected to that force at our core and be guided by it. That our job as humans in this life was to emulate it. That our social and political agenda, the one dictated by our faith, was always to be about seeing where there was somewhere a circle that was about love and acceptance and respect and care, but left some people outside it. And our call was to work to have the world see the necessity to bring those people outside it in. Our work, in other words, was to be the champion of big love, the biggest love the world, the human heart could imagine. And to do that until that vision broke through all barriers of ignorance and fear and hate, broke right into incarnated being, beloved community, heaven on earth, the kingdom of God. These were all metaphors for the moment that that vision became a reality. That box then of books and, and pamphlets, seditious and worn, that had animated some work of some previous uprising, previous revolution, the kind that got you into trouble, into good trouble, as John Lewis famously and rightly named it, that box in my dream could easily have been the writings and life stories of universalists through time. Because big love meant means that you stick your nose in all the places that people wanted you to think didn't matter and argue for all the people, for the natural places, for all things they told you weren't any of your business and not worth your time. And it was because of that, that theological imperative in universalism, that universalists went into prisons to demand fair treatment, into places where people who were mentally ill were treated like animals, into the call for abolition and women's right to vote and the civil rights movement, all kinds of civil rights movements that we went uninvited, unwelcomed by those who would protect the walls of too small a circle of love. Now, this is not a narrative of perfection. Some of our people were astoundingly prophetic. Some were late adapters, you might say. The second woman ordained in the United States was a universalist woman, but let's be clear, the women didn't get the best pulpits for a long, long time. And modern Unitarian Universalists like the Reverend Mark Morrison Reed and his works, including among them his book, Black Pioneers in a White Denomination, and his other book, Darkening the Doorways, Black Trailblazers and Missed Opportunities in Unitarian Universalism. He is just one person who lays out some of our less proud history, particularly around African Americans who came 
wishing to be part of our religious communities, to serve it with their lives, and still do, only to find a tradition whose white folks haven't done their work enough, realizing how we defend still some walls that are too small and justify exclusion. Still, still, my friends, we are the inheritors of this tradition to live up to the imaginative faith venture of drawing the circle wider, of seeing who and what is indeed our business and to launch into wall-breaking and rebuilding revolutions of heart and policy and mind. And the work is never done. The heritage of all that, it's what flows down onto the steps of this church on Wednesday mornings during rush hour, even these days of illness and risk. It's why Captain Hinckley started the first trust and endowment and left money for the worthy poor. It's why Star King drove his body into exhaustion and the grave. And all the stories behind those framed photos of each Reiner Award winner and thousands of other legacies that run through this place and through our lives of faith right now. David White, who sometimes leads poetry workshops in this sanctuary and in our center, he has a poem entitled, Sometimes. Excerpting from it, he writes that sometimes you come to a place whose only task is to trouble you with tiny but frightening requests. Requests to stop what you're doing right now and to stop what you are becoming while you do it. Questions that can make or unmake a life. Questions that have patiently waited for you. Questions that have no right to go away. I think every life leads us to such a place. Every era has its clearing, which when you reach them, holds the questions that are laid out for you unapologetically waiting for you to take your quest up. The box laid a little ragged from where, flopping open to show you what is always inside, some old words, old paper, tales of other lives, of spirited, mandated adventures to keep you company on the journey, your journey, which will be added to the legacy when you're gone. Each of us called to do our part in this great relay race of social, ideological, societal, human evolution which is not so much about the evolution of the human animal, but the human anima, that great 
Latin word for spirit and breath and air, the numinous. People have been asking me, family and friends, and many of you, how I feel about the lead up to today's meeting and the vote and my decision to put myself up for a vote that would bind us, this congregation and me, in a special relationship, the special relationship of minister and congregation in our tradition in which we choose each other to serve the mission of this place and the larger mission of holding one another accountable for lives of meaning and courage through sickness and in health, richer and poorer. I said to someone, it felt to me a bit like a marriage decision and she thankfully agreed, though I've had colleagues tell me that that's a really horrible analogy to use and I don't really know why because I can't get past it and it feels a lot like that to me. Which is why I think I'll tell you how I feel. I agreed to put myself up for a vote because I would like to be in that life with you, the members of this community. And I don't think I could pick a richer, sweeter group to walk that journey with. I don't think I could be in better company, and I'm not saying that to win votes. Plus, like you, I've had over three years of looking under the hood or up close to know something about what I am speaking about. But here's why I'm more measured in my approach to the vote. At every wedding I do, I think, if you too knew what you were really agreeing to and what it would ask of you and how it would change you, you, you wouldn't be so focused on the candy-covered almond party favors and the napkin colors. You'd be joyful, but you'd be heavy with awe and a sense of the weightiness of it all, like like really what you're doing right now is you're standing at a bluff and you're ready to push off together on your vessel into the wide open semi-charted waters of a vast ocean for places not yet revealed because that's what this will mean. The questions that await us could we have predicted what the last three years, let alone the last six months, have asked of us? Does anyone here think we have any idea what we will face together in the near term or the longer unfolding of time? No. And we know it will be hard. That's what we do know. And we know it will be interesting it always is, and we know it will change us, and we know it will grow us, and we know we will have moments of insane, wonderful joy, and we know we will have heartbreak. And most of all, we know we'll be in good company. For me, that's what the vote and the vows are about, always. Choosing the company not with any real idea of what it will ask of you or me, of us. Except, of course, this, that there will be 
among our maps and compasses, the guiding star of big love. The biggest love we can imagine working miracles when it chooses, begging us to work to draw the circle wider until the whole world is inside its embrace. And so my friends, through us, through us we're called to live what the poet cooperative enfleshed writes about. This love that tells its story, this love that embraces everyone, every creature, every creation. It knows us intimately, it holds us collectively. It transcends every boundary that we seek to confine it within. It will not tolerate violence in its name. It does no harm. It only sets free. From this dream of love, big and gorgeously uncompromising, may we never wake. And may the bold questions that wait for us patiently and demand everything most worthy of us to answer them, may they never, never go away. And may we walk in blessing this journey of life made more blessed because we are together in it. That's my prayer for the day. May it be so. Amen. Thank you.
and our goings may the light of love shine upon us out from within us be gracious unto us and grant us peace for this is the day we are given let us rejoice and be glad in it amen
The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.